Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Look at that, that's better. <coughs> well, um... Woo! Hello, one million hey, followers. Yeah. <laughs> Five million followers. Hey, we're early today. Um, welcome to Revolution um, Gathering. We're early today because we are uh, flying to North Carolina for the project, the Tammy Faye, unnamed Tammy Faye documentary project we're very secretly working on. And we're flying to North Carolina for about 24 hours, but we're flying there really soon why the near, during, during the normal service time. And so I asked my, my mate here to sit in with me today because I've been, you know, a little frazzled, a little worn out and not prepping as much as I, I should because I'm also doing a lot of other stuff. But we wanted to talk a little bit about um, you today. <laughs> you guys are the one person who's watching. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the numbers are climbing. It's already one million viewers. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. one million forty-six. Just watch that. That number is <laughs> just... Well, um, good morning, by the way, to everybody, and welcome. Um, Mr. Rollins, welcome to Revolution. Thank you. Um, I like the studio. It's nice. Yeah, it's lovely. Yeah. It's an empty room, an empty... <laughs> we're in a warehouse in Los Angeles, California. Um, one I got of the this sofa, by the way. This sofa cost me a hundred bucks. Really? Yeah, I got it. It was... <laughs> I bought it. It was used on a film set, and then... They were selling it and, and it was covered in pain and terrible and they said it was fake leather and it wasn't but it's a real Chesterfield and I almost threw it out and then I cleaned it down and I reupholstered bits of it, fixed it up and it's nice. Yeah, yeah like almost it. worth worth it. Yeah. <laughs> the adult theater. Was this at the adult? Yeah. Yeah. It's I'm already itching. Um as you guys know, one of the things we we talk about here at Revolution a lot is arguing well, and I hate to even admit that Pete helped with that concept, but he did, and we kind of came, I remember, God, when we really started talking about it, and it wasn't that long ago, I mean, it was like four or five years ago, but it was, uh, I was doing a New York Times interview. Um, oh, humble brag. <sighs> oh, yeah, just... <laughs> <laughs> New York Times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you heard of the small yeah. paper. It's just after I'd done that Kevin Cole fashion uh, <laughs> billboard. Kevin thing. Cole, yeah. Kevin Cole. <laughs> yeah, Kenneth, no. Kenneth Cole. Kenneth Cole. Who was it? That was, that was, Kenneth Cole was a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, well, if it makes you happy, I don't think they printed the article. Did they not? The New York Times article, no. Oh. I think they ended up going another direction. Oh. But yeah, well, I remember, yes, so maybe I was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <ooh>. <laughs> awkward. <laughs> but um, no, but, but one of the things we were just talking about is for some reason we ended up talking about arguing well and how like the country really suffers from that. Mm. And that we move on from, we kind of move on for, to one crisis to another yeah. in this country. But in New York Times, is exacerbating arguing badly so maybe you know your, your article wouldn't have fitted very neatly in there paper so we were yeah and we were talking about how do we argue well mm -hmm. and um so that's that's one of the things i, I kind of wanted to talk to you about is like where where does well, 
what are you what's your advice on arguing well as one but also kind of like what was the um where did when did that start becoming part of your work and something that inspired you in your work i mean was it something from home or was it something that you noticed happening when you were going out and speaking or was it just something you were studying oh yeah um yeah something we were talking about before we went live is like for me one of the things is about um the need to listen well so and that's connected to arguing well but i'll talk about listening well for a okay. second is like and we can go as deep as you want <laughs> i'm going to show you oh let's go oh, yeah. I'm show people how to listen yes. well Mm. Oh, my, my socks. Oh, yeah. Nice. yeah, yeah, what are you doing with your socks? Oh, I was trying to put them on my feet. But, but you did it really subtly, <laughs> trying to make sure like, they didn't see it. So yeah. anyway. Yeah. Yeah. No, go ahead, I'll just keep um, them off. No one can see my Yeah, feet. your feet, oh God. Um, yeah, listening well. Um, and the, One of the things about that is the unconscious. Like, I would want to argue, and we can talk about it or not, but that it's not simply that individuals have an unconscious, like uh, groups can have an unconscious, society has an unconscious. And uh, the unconscious isn't a, so a, like a, an area in the brain, you know, that you can find through kind of neuroscience. But yeah, the unconscious is kind of like a, a, the self-division of the subject. There's some sort of contradiction between two different positions and what you're not aware of comes up. So for example, a friend of mine, I thought this was brilliant, she, she saw, met this guy at a party, uh, and then a week later, she met him again on the street, and she was like, uh, oh, your name's Willie? And he was like, uh, no, uh, it's Dick. Right? Oh. So there's an example of the unconscious oh. speaking, right? Yeah. Um, it's just a, you know, a mistaken name, but the two yeah. names, you suddenly go, oh, what she's thinking. Oh, or blue for evolution. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, another one on that, um, which I think was very funny, is somebody said to me on a text that they wanted to send a vice message to somebody and not a voice, instead of a voice message. And, you know, when we talked, it was like, oh, this person liked the person. So what they wanted to do is they would like to send something illicit oh. to the person. But what they were talking about was a business meeting. We, I have to send that person a voice message but her, the unconscious so unconsciously we're all perverted. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, or the, yeah. So there's like the, there's like two things going on. There's the desire for work, and there's a desire for maybe a, there's a sexual tension, yeah. and then the unconscious kind of erupts as a distortion. What's called a parapraxis, a distortion in the field of of consciousness that that basically betrays us in a moment, but we're so unaware of it. It's like. It's, it's once you train yourself, you can see it in other people, but it's very hard to see your own unconscious. Do you think, but like you said, there's group unconscious? Oh yeah. So I yeah. mean, do you think that like, that's one of the reasons, like just for an example, like in this country, the right and left have something that does not allow them to listen to each other? Yeah, well, the, the reason why I think it's good to listen well is that if, if a community um, has an unconscious, that means that you'll have a community that said that, for example, they self-identify as, say, loving and tolerant and free and accepting of all, right? right. Um, and I've seen this, I know some people, I've seen churches as well say everyone welcome, but I know in kind of VH, uh, <laughs> LA circles, they have these events, so they go, everyone's welcome. 
But of course we know they're not. Like we know yeah. that the, the, some of the groups I'm thinking of in my head I wouldn't say is like, if someone came along who was say a gun rights activist or whatever, went to their festival, they would not be welcome. So, right, so, right. so but they don't see this. So they're, they're literally like safe going, space, this is safe. Yeah. But they don't see it. That's the thing about the unconscious is you don't see your mechanisms and your own uh, contradictions. And you, you, so you need the other to see it. And so what you do, and so something I do is a practice, and I know I enjoy it, but it is a practice. I will watch, often say on YouTube, I was watching all these really interesting fundamentalist critiques of society recently, really fundamentalist ones, because often you need the other person's eyes in order to see yourself. Now, I'm not progressive, so I wasn't doing it for that, but, but I was looking at what is the fundamentalist critique of contemporary culture. Uh -huh. and, and in a sense, opening yourself up to listen to the other they can help you see the unconscious that is within your own collective and you can begin to say oh yeah when we say everyone welcome oh i didn't notice that there is this there's this weird contradiction that's happening in that in that festival for example yeah um and then festival the, weird choice of words. Oh, yeah. i wonder what festival you're thinking about. <laughs> yeah and then and then <laughs> yeah i'm just passing <laughs> quickly <laughs> off um, and then what <laughs> <laughs> and then, it's wild. No, you didn't. No, <laughs> I was not thinking. No, I was I thinking. Think, oh, okay, yeah. uh, you're thinking something else. I know. I just said it was wild. It's a wild <laughs> idea. Okay, go ahead. Hilarious. Um, but if you listen to the other, they become an instrument of your further transformation. So, because when when you encounter your own inner antagonisms, bring them to the surface, you can begin to change. So whatever grouping you're in, the other becomes an instrument of your further conversion through being the eyes that allow you to see your own unseen, unknown, uh, unconscious. So it's like when, like when Paul is talking about like there's this something within work, work within me that's challenging me and I do the things that I don't want to do. Yes. You know, I mean, that's... I mean, for folks who aren't familiar with unconscious, you know, that's kind of it. I mean, as I've, I've gone to see my analyst, you know, a lot of uh, my dreams express to me things that are unconscious. It's like you're unconscious trying to c communicate with you. But so we don't even realize that we're excluding others in yep. a way because, because and, and how is it that it's just not rising to the surface? I mean, maybe some of us will see it now that you've mentioned it. Like, oh yeah, I, I have been a member of a community that said all are welcome. Because I think even like for probably a lot of the folks through revolution, you know, who, who, who grew up more conservative, you know, but they also probably had a church sign that said all are welcome, but the other group wasn't welcome, you know? Yeah, yeah. And now, they, now we have all these, oh, we're all welcome and then rainbow flags and all this stuff, but you know, Yes. Of course, the gun-toting Republican who comes in all of a sudden doesn't feel as welcomed yeah, yeah, because yeah. their ideas are different than ours. Yeah. Um, Which can be very disruptive for the community because we don't like to be confronted with our own inner antagonisms. You have to, and almost our defenses go up. It's, that's why you have to, people need to be at ease, people need to be trusting because we don't like to, we don't like to see ourselves. Like, we don't like to see the truth of our desire. That's something that, in fact, Freud would say our consciousness is almost designed as a defense against an encounter with our own desires. Um, and then the symptom is what arises out of that denial of the truth. And a symptom is basically a coagulation of a contradiction. So your symptoms are, are in a sense, they, they hint at the truth that you cannot tell yourself. Um, and so whenever 
we're confronted by, by that, we'll get very defensive. Like, so for example, I think it's very interesting, like the, a phrase like my body, was it my body, my choice? Yes. Um, that, that's really interesting because now two sides use that. Yeah. One person in terms of uh, abortion, the other in terms of vaccinations. And you can see how that, that is a really interesting kind of thing because people who meant it in this way suddenly go like, no, no, but not in that way or that way and not in that way. And, and you see again, there's a kind of symptomology to this that is very disturbing for both communities in a sense. Yeah. You know, like a, um, and I guess the all are welcome is another, yeah, kind yeah. of another example of that yeah. because we really know that there's really no church sign that says all are welcome that really means all are welcome. Yeah. And, and that's my thing. is like, Or place. Like that this thing where they just... Where we're uh, with, with the club that just canceled the comedian in Minnesota, yeah. you know, they're like, oh, we want to create a safe atmosphere where all are welcome and idea, you yeah, know, yeah, and, yeah. You know, and it's like, well, not all ideas are welcome. Yeah. yeah. And, and my thing is like, it's not that we should then strive to make all as welcome. I think it's a ridiculous idea. I mean, it's stupid. I mean, like, I, I think it's a, it's an unrealistic. It's 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 dystopian. It's not even oh. realistic. But like it, it would, Like so, for me, it's what what's more important. And like, to give an example of the Last Supper, you know, we do, or the evangelism project we did in, in Belfast where we wanted to be evangelized by another community is a group of people can go, oh yeah, no, we're actually saying we're Heideggerians or we're Marxists or we're Christians or whatever it is. That's who we are and hopefully, you know, we've thought about our position and that's why we're this position. And what we want to do is we want to be open to listening to those who critique us. So we will go and let the other speak into us to help us see our own antagonisms. So for example, if you have a, a typical debate between a Republican and a Democrat, is one where the Republican is trying to convince the Democrat, the Democrat's trying to convince the Republican, right, of the position. Yeah. And it, although they both know they will be able to convince each other, they're trying to convince some people, at least in the audience, right? But in the Advancing Project, the idea is you have a debate where the Republican comes in and says, listen, you're probably not going to stop me being a Republican. Like, it's part of my history. I've also thought about it. It's my position. But I want to listen to you because you might be able to make me a better Republican because you think that I'm mad. I must be missing something. Yeah. So you critique me and see what, see, I want to see myself through your eyes. And then the, de the Democrat says, you're probably not going to make me a Republican. But I'm missing something because I think, like, why would you not be a Democrat? Like, I think you could only be a Republican if you're, like, racist, sexist, you know, like, you know, murder babies and stuff. So uh, help me see what I'm missing. And what happens then is each, the Republican helps Democrat become a better Democrat. The Republican helps, the, uh, the sorry, Democrat helps the Republican become a better Republican, etc. Yeah. And, but then what's interesting is both begin to change and develop and, and become something else. Because... There's this idea of in, in Hegel's dialectic of constant movement. When we bring our own contradictions to the surface, we transform in apocalyptic ways. And apocalypse means you don't know the future. You don't know how you're going to change. You don't know how the other's going to convince you. This is why I'm, a, I'm an apocalypticist, not a progressive, because the progressive knows the teleological end of history. The progressive knows what the future looks like right so if you disagree with me i can love you but in a patronizing way because <laughs> i know but an apocalypticist is someone who says i don't know what the future looks like um, and every time i dream of the future i'm just basically taking an idealized version of the present so what i want to do is i want to be open to experiencing the contradiction and the future will unfold in a way that will surprise us all all right well let's let's slow it down einstein um <laughs> No, but what I mean is that I, I, what I like is is this prioritizing, and and how we, 
how we prioritize the other, how we listen well to the other, and, and, and it's such a really tough job though. You know what I mean? It's really hard to like, you know, I'm gonna make them a better Republican and they're gonna make me a better Democrat or whatever, a better mm -hmm. this or better that. And, you know, it's like how, like I, I'm just trying to think of like, simpler ways like you know like obviously that's going to make the world a better place mm -hmm. you know um but it seems like we all have the patronizing love thing that was what i was oh, thinking yeah, about yeah. is like i have seen patronizing love and it used to be one of the things that i thought conservatives did because i grew up conservative yeah, yeah, you know yeah, what i mean yeah. so and then i was angry at the conservatives and they were like well you know god hates the gays just because i'm telling you because i love you you know yeah. what i mean and now it's like you know well God hates, you know, Trump supporters, and I have to tell you the truth because I love you. And there is this type of patronizing love. And, like, how do we expose that to ourselves and also expose that to others? Because I feel like that's one of the things that I've said to people. Like, well, you don't really love me. You're kind of patronizing me, and you're telling me you love me in this way. Yeah. You know, and they don't see it. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that's something that we can all say is, like, this common ground. And how do we, one help others to see that they're maybe patronizing us, but also help, how do we realize that we're patronizing others as well and doing the same thing? Because I feel like that's the problem when I look at the right and the left in this country, is they're kind of doing the same things to each other. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or they're kind of just trading places over time. Yeah. I mean, the great thing about this model, and yeah, because you're excited, right? So the great thing about this model is, and we saw this, so in The Last Supper was an example, and just for the sake of anyone doesn't know that what it is, The Last Supper was a, where a group of 12 of us would meet for dinner and we'd invite a controversial guest who often would probably take a position that most of the people around the table would disagree with. And over the starter, they would give a talk and then over the main course Q&A and over dessert, a wider discussion. And if we didn't like what they said, it was their last supper. So I had to call the <laughs> last supper. Right? Um, and uh, it, it was kind of a fun evening. Um, what, what was interesting but was Often the guest was someone who we were kind of seeing ourselves through the eyes. The other thing was we put them in the seat of Christ. That was the, you know, and we know what we did with him kind of thing. So yeah, we put them right. in the seat of Christ. And we would look at ourselves through their eyes. And I remember one example of this guy uh, called Leslie, what was his surname? But he was part of the Ulster Humanist Society. And the Ulster Humanist Society, typical Northern Ireland thing, was a very kind of like, almost fundamentalist humanist society. Okay. Um, and he came with a friend, and at first he was very defensive because he thought a lot of the people around the table were gonna be religious, and he was kind of attacking religion. And then the people around the table were going, yeah, you think that's bad? And they were talking about it. <laughs> you know? What was interesting was, as he experienced this group of people, and this was a training that this group had done, over years I had this group, who were very open to the other critiquing them. As he was critiquing, and as he saw that the group was really open to what he was saying and really embracing it, he became more open to being critiqued. And then he invited me to give a talk at the Ulster Humanist Society, so I gave his talk on Feuerbach. And then they invited me to be on a debate panel with them against these Christians about, about the afterlife. <laughs> so it suddenly became really interestingly twisted. Yeah. Um, and so my reason for saying that is if we, and it's difficult, but if we can train ourselves to genuinely not ask the other to be open to what we're saying but like say for example you've got a family member and you really disagree politically so one year instead you go to thanksgiving and you sit down and you go say oh mom and dad 
you know, to be honest, I've maybe been a bit of an asshole sometimes, and I come in, a, like, tell me, like, critique me. I'm going to listen. I actually genuinely, I just want to know what am I missing. Like, going to listen. I'm not. I'm not playing a game. I'm not whatever. And you literally listen, and you listen to their best arguments, and you try to steal man their best arguments. So, like, if there's an argument, you, know, you try and build it. What you'll find is the other will then be more likely to say, "Well, here, what do you think about my position?" Because we that just like in an argument with someone. If you pretend you're an expert and they'll pretend they're an expert on something you see in the news, you're like this. And as soon as one person says, well, you know what? Because you don't really know much about Ukraine. I'm talking like I'm an expert and I know about NATO and NATO's advances and Donbass region. But to be honest, you know, three months ago, I could hardly find it on a map. And so we're disagreeing like this, but maybe you've got something that, whatever. The other person's like, well, you know, me too. And then a productive conversation happens. Yeah. And so you've never done that before? No, never done it before. <laughs> but, I, but I like the theory. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're an expert on that. Yes, yeah. Yeah, like, I, you know, so doers do, thinkers think, yeah. yeah. So, um, no, that's, that's a great example. Because I think that's what we, we, I think that's one of the things we struggle with. And it's kind of like the baby steps of, like, arguing well. And then maybe the next step is like, oh, shit, we got to listen as, as, as well. Less, but of, the, less of, of the bad language. <laughs> and then let people know, like, we're willing to listen well. And I think, though, that, that there seems to be such a defense mechanism, and even in this group here, of this, uh, of like, well, if you don't recognize my humanity or you don't see this. And one of the things I'm always trying to, to, to talk to everybody about is Dr. King is like, Dr. King was always like, well, it doesn't matter if you don't recognize my humanity. I st- we still have to have a conversation, yeah. you know, despite that, yeah. like, because that's how change happens. Yeah. And also, like, the, key, the really controversial bit of this, I believe it very strongly, but the controversial bit is you can only listen well if you genuinely open yourself up to the idea that I, cu- I could be the body. Right? You know, that beautiful, yeah. like, there's a great, if you look it up, it's called Are We the Baddies? And it's what our favorite comedian yeah. is, Mitchell and Webb. But they're basically Nazis in Russia advancing. And one of them, you know, they're advancing and they're talking about how well they're doing. And then the guy looks at the other guy's cap, sees a skull on it, and he's like, Are, are we the baddies? You know? Yeah. It's like, it's only when someone literally says to themselves, and, and most people have maybe done it once in their life, but then we, we reify again, but it's to go like, Maybe I am the body. Maybe I'm missing something. Maybe there's an unconscious dimension to my community that that I'm missing that's actually doing violence and destruction. And so me asking my parents in this example at Thanksgiving um, is, you know, to speak into it. It's not like a patronizing, I'm going to pretend that I'm better. It's like, you're literally going, no, you're, you, you're instruments of my further transformation here. Like, like I've got a... I, I'm trying to change the world. What if I'm changing the world as something terrible? So that, it's very difficult to get to that point. And that's why, again, I'm an apocalypticist. One example of this politically is where I'm from, Northern Ireland. And you know a lot about yeah. this, the Good Friday Agreement. Was in Northern Ireland, it was a 30-year conflict. And it was, we were destroying ourselves. And eventually, all the major political leaders got together and they all had to kind of give up their ideal of what they thought the future looked like and have a massive conflict, political conflict, over three days, arguing and created Good Friday Agreement because it was signed on Good Friday. And it was apocalyptic in the sense that we're going like, none of us knew what was going to happen on the, on the other side of this agreement. Everyone just had to be open to bringing up all of the conflict, all of the destruction that was 
that was going to wipe our country out. And then, and we found a way, and, it, and by the way, it was crazy some of the things we did, like, you know, yeah. like disbanding the police force and stuff like that, crazy ideas. But, um, but it, was an and it was an apocalyptic event, not a progressive event, because everyone had to give up their vision of the future. Oh, um, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Go like, I don't know what's going on. Then that's why, you know, Dylan Moran, I've often quoted the comedian, he said, war is the inability to have conflict. Like war is when you want to destroy the other because you cannot stand to be in a conflictual dynamic with them. So war finishes when conflict happens. And this was conflict. This was like, I don't know what's going to happen. I just have to be in the same room as you. And we have to talk it out, find it out. And something novel arises. And so novelty is very important here. Novelty and surprise happens in apocalypticism because um, you don't know what's going to happen. New solutions are fine. Uh, how do we open up ourselves to that? I mean, like, what is your advice to, like, I mean, I guess it is, like, go to your mom and dad's for Thanksgiving and listen to them. And for some people, that's, like, horrific. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, I can never do yes, that. Yes. Like me saying, like, oh, I'm going to go sit down with my dad and be like, Dad, yeah. tell me what you don't like about me. And that might be too hard. Because, like, sometimes our families are so close to us that we annoy them and they annoy us. Yeah. <laughs> it's the narcissism of small differences. So, you know, what you can do, and I say what I've done, and I always did this, this last week. I went back to it. But my, uh, one of the things I love is honest, intellectual, honest conservatives often have the best critiques of contemporary society. So, for example, if you read someone like C.S. Lewis, G.K. Chesterton, whatever, they, these people have incredibly insightful critiques of contemporary culture. So I love to watch, even going like very extreme conservative, as long as it's honest intellectually yeah. rigorous. So there's people like, there's, um, you know, there's also theorists. I like Carl Schmitt is a very famous kind of like, one of the most famous political theorists, but conservative political theorists. But I kind of read these people and engage with them because they bring out, they, 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 they move and, and bring out something to me. Whereas if I'm just reading the same, if I'm just connecting with who thinks the same as me, but it's not like finding the ridiculous person. Yeah. It's not finding the idiot. It's like going like, no, give me, let's say reading G.K. Chesterton, who I like a lot, um, or C.S. Lewis, who I, who's some of his work, I, I really think is incredibly insightful. Um, and, and, do, and, and listening it will be very beneficial. You That's, train yeah. yourself to listen well. That's good. Like just find. I mean, I remember reading even like some of Calvinist books when I was, you know, when we first met because I was having such a struggle with the Calvinist. I was, <clears throat> and all of a sudden I was like starting to read some of their work, and you know, like oh, it was so painful. But at the same time, you do see things like ah, uh, you know, and yeah, yeah. it's not it's not as black and white as I'm thinking it is yeah. either. Like it, it's definitely not as what they're thinking. But you know what? It's also not you know, yeah. it's tough. And I think reading is a good place to start. Is maybe reading someone that you don't completely agree with. Yeah, and it's and it's all about. <clears throat> so if I mean, what what lies behind this theory, uh, which we've talked about a lot, and talk about, what lies behind this theory is the the notion that, uh, you know, to put it very mild, briefly, is like that. Um, knowledge and truth unfolds through antagonism throughout history. So, for example, being like life out of being. Be uh, consciousness out of life, self-consciousness out of consciousness, reason out of self-consciousness, right? These massive moments within the, the history of the cosmos, the, all of this journey is a journey of antagonisms. And these antagonisms and contradictions unfold into, into different forms. Yeah. You know, evolutionary theories and the infrared and biology, incompleteness and mathematics, indeterminacy and physics, et cetera, et cetera. But so in this idea is like, oh, 
for the forward momentum of society, uh, critical, difficult <clears throat> conversation and conflict is vital. <clears throat> is vital. And that's works. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really like, I, I think of James, um, faith without works is dead kind of thing, mm -hmm. and like picking up your cross. Because when I was growing up, I was like, don't listen to secular music or, you know, <laughs> smoke cigarettes <laughs> and, you know, take the shot, you know, the, the narrow road. Yeah. But what I realized, and even through your stuff, like, because I remember I used to be like, you've got to do a, uh, 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 what's your theology called? A pirate theology. Pirate theology for beginners book, mm -hmm. you know, blah, 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 which obviously needs a title on it because I can't remember what it's called. Mm -hmm. But, um, <laughs> no, but, but the idea is like, and you said, well, there's not really, there's not really a beginner's, you kind of have to do the work to get yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, make it easy. and I feel like that's what it is with this, is that it's not easy. It's not going to be easy. And we have to constantly remind ourselves as this, as this community, you know, it's like, this is the work. This yeah. is the hard work. This is listening to the other's critique yes. is the hard work. Yes. You know, being respectful to the other is the hard work. Yeah. And, and not being so defensive of like, how dare you? Or how dare you? Because I think now the how dare you's for a lot of us is, is not about how dare you attack me but it's how dare you attack the people I love mm. or the group because it seems we were very defensive of, of very small communities. You know, like, oh, we're going to protect that community. How dare you? But how we're not even allowing ourselves to be angry on their behalf, but that we're willing to listen on their behalf because we do want to be something that in the long run is, is better. Yeah. Well, you know, like I'm a universalist, so I'm, I'm always wary of any identitarian yeah. uh, philosophies, particularist of what used to be called politics of difference. Um, for me, revolutionary politics has always been universal. It's always been, um, uh, you know, for everybody. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so, yeah. Uh, and so what, what I worry about is, again, the increasing fragmentation of society increasing by, is, is itself a problem. Um, I mean, this is the very core of, of, of like uh, fascism is of, of a, a particular group is, is, is special in some yeah, sort of way. Yeah. Uh, you know, Edward Said famously talks about, calls it Orientalism, because yeah. sometimes the special group isn't a group that you hate. So for the, 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 in the Nazi party, it was the Jews who you hate. Sometimes it can be a special party who group who are undivided, who are special, who, don't, who never lie. For example, who All never right. you, who like, and that sounds like you're doing a real service to somebody, but you're actually treating them as less than human, right? As not on, as not divided subjects. Right. So whether it's Orientalism or whether it's some sort of like supremacist position, these I'm always wary of of any type of fragmentation into particularisms. Well, so, and that's what we I've seen, and I think <clears throat> the people in the community have seen is the more we've got into particularisms or Orientalisms. Uh, we 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 become more divided eventually, and oh, yeah. then it's like you know, oh wait, well my hurt is different than your hurt, and it's yeah. and it's like, oh no, I think we can come together and say like, interpain depression, feeling weary is something that we can all connect to, but rather than just something that's called to divide us. Yeah, and on the, the main thing, like in psychoanalysis, what unifies everybody? So we're all different in terms of language and culture, yeah. history, lots of differences. But what unifies every every subject is an original lack, an originary lack. Uh, theological terms, original sin, but an originary lack, which means to, uh, you know, th that there is life after death, and we are the evidence that there's some sort of death that we have to undergo to become living. So in psychoanalysis, it's called castration. Castration is 
where like the infant has private pleasure, the infant's at the mother's breast, feeds and then sleeps, right? Private enjoyment, whatever. But the incest taboo, which every culture has an incest taboo, is basically the, the demand you cannot stay with your mother at the uh -huh. mother's breast. You have to be public, you have to enter the world. And when with the incest taboo, what you have is, I say in, in anthropology, it's called the incest taboo and psychoanalysis castration, but they're kind of the same thing. With the incest taboo, you have this notion that you have to find enjoyment out in the world and you can't have like this oceanic oneness with the <laughs> other. So we're all divided to yeah. be a subject is to be marked by, by a loss, to have something cut from us. And it, it, the cut is different depending on the structure, etc. But we're all cut. And so we're unified not by something that we share, but by, by a lack. And in Christianity, it's called the Eucharist where the religious community is gathered around the shared loss of God, the death of God. Um, in Burning Man, it's the, the destruction of the man, right? In the fire, oh, right? Yeah. You know, but, but in, in AA, you're unified around a shared loss, the losses of, you know, that came with alcoholism yeah. and all that. So there's two types of community. Communities that are gathered around what we share in common, they always need an enemy. You'll always have an inside and outside or a community of all outsiders, a community where we're all on the outside, we're all cut. Yeah. And for me, the, the Pauline universal is not a universal where we're all in, because Christianity's always been a universalist religion. Yeah. So conservative universalism is the messages for everybody. Mm -hmm. So it's a universal message, but a particularistic response. So some people get into heaven, but it's to the ends of the earth. It's universal, <laughs> right? Liberal universalism is, oh, it's universal and everyone gets in. So in heaven, we're all at the table. But the radical Pauline universal is everyone's on the outside. Yeah. That no one gets in. That we're all that we are all in hell. Like there's a certain sense in which we identify with the one who lost all identity, the one who was cursed of God, naked, re removed from society. So that's the, that, and that that Pauline universal is the universal of psychoanalysis. Yeah. And existentialism. I mean, that's why I love Galatians so much, is because mm -hmm. he's basically saying we're all outsiders yeah. and we're gonna have to remain outsiders to each other because so much of this is built within us. Yes. But we still have to be a community of outsiders amongst outsiders. Because that's the only way you can be a community of outsiders if you're all outsiders. I and mean, that's why we try to talk about diversity of thinking at Revolution is like, hey, we're gonna have, we wanna, we do have con people who are conservatives and are Republicans and people who are Democrats and people who are whatever parties and people who have different belief systems. And, <clears throat> and that's really, Great, and it's easier to pull them together online, to be honest mm. with you. Like, they can, we can argue a little well on the things, but I mean, I, I think if we were all together constantly, it might be a little bit tougher, yeah. you know? And, I, and I've heard different people say, oh, I think that person's unsafe, and then later they're really good friends with them, and then, oh, I think that person's unsafe, and then later they communicate together. And, um, but it is interesting, like, to try to create a community of outsiders. Um, but people yeah. will often come together and say, well, we're the outsiders, and so the community comes thinking that they're the outsiders, but then they all of a sudden, the people who are now the outsiders to so that community are the people who made them outsiders. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you often come with that difficult problem too, is like, you know, you almost <coughs> automatically create another or an enemy or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. No, there's this, this, for me, Christianity at its core is the breakdown of the scapegoat mechanism. Like at its core, Reddy Girard is right. I think, Khan says it better, but really Gerard's very good. This, this, there's a scapegoat mechanism where, so at the very core of Christianity is God, Christ who's innocent. Yeah. We project our own 
darkness onto the other, kill them, and then realize that they're innocent and that darkness was enough. So it's the original, that's where you get transference from. So we all, and we all undergo this experience when, so for example, a trend that was a few years ago now, I remember where there was a thing called the Karen, that was a middle-aged woman who, you know, he was oh, acting yeah, they, badly yeah. and everyone would mock them. And it was kind of horrible, but it was like, they'd be like, like sit down, Karen. Oh, or, don't yeah. Yeah. So it was, and everyone took real glee in, in mocking. And some of them deserved it. Some of them might have just been having a hard time. Some of them were mentally ill. It doesn't matter, right? But the point is, this gave people a chance to take their intolerance and put it onto somebody else. Yeah. So that's transparency. You put it onto the Karen. The Karen is the Christ, right? Whether they're innocent or not, yeah. matter. That you put your intolerance and your hatred on. You feel justified in throwing the stones at them. Give us Barabbas, you know. Da, da, da. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it makes you feel wonderful. But then Christianity is this amazing moment where it shows you the next ten minutes of the video where the woman breaks down and says, yeah, I've got, um, uh, psych I've had psychotic breaks and uh, you know, this is, I've been in and out of therapy or you know, I just lost my job. And in that moment, the, you having laughed, if you see the next 10 minutes of that video, you're like, oh, I'm dick. Yeah. Right? Like I've seen that loads in contemporary culture where there's a little clip of a video they put up and everyone hates the kids yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And then about a week later, you discover the rest of the video Sadly, people don't necessarily have the conversion moment where you, because that's the conversion moment with Paul, is the, re the realization, you know, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting so, so why are you persecuting me? Or Paul, Paul, so, yeah. so, why are you persecuting me? Is that, in other words, what you're persecuting is God, is the innocent. And then in seeing that, you're converted. So the conversion moment in, in, a, in a non, a kind of demythologized way is when you see the Karen and you're laughing at them and you hate them and you feel all this vitriol towards them and then maybe yes you discover that they they suffer from a schizophrenia yeah and you're like oh um or you just saw you didn't see the five minutes before whenever that person was there was provoked or whatever it yeah. is so the, the, the scapegoat mechanism is key why was i talking about the scapegoat mechanism because i was going to say something else but anyway yeah um what were you asking or well, you're saying that that's part of like what Christianity is. Oh yeah. Oh, yes. yeah. oh yeah, thank you. Yeah. So, so that's the scapegoat mechanism. And the thing I was going to add to what you were saying as well is that the thing about the outsider is technically, if you take something like Jean-Paul Sartre, is we're all outsiders. To be human is to be otherwise than what you are. Like a rock is a rock, a sofa is a sofa, a dog is a dog, but a human is someone striving to be human. So we don't say, oh, that dog is very in-dog-like. We say that person's very inhuman, right? Yeah. To be human is to ask, what does it mean to be human? And you ask that question every time you decide to lift up the phone to somebody or not lift up the phone to them. You're asking a question about who am I and what's morality? This question is implicit in everything you do as a human. And someone like Jean-Paul Sartre beautifully says that we pretend to be Whenever we act normal, I've got a great book called On Being Normal and Other Disorders. Right? <laughs> Whenever we act normal and we try to fit in, it is a type of imposter syndrome. We are, in a sense, to be human is to be a rebel, is to be inherently to not fit in, to be in the world but not of it. And you can only hide that and pretend to fit in at your expense and the expense of other people. So even the winners lose in our society, the losers lose doubly, but even the winners don't feel fit, even the rich. Like, you know, you look at Johnny Depp and you find out about his life, but you see behind the scenes that, you know, he's depressed, doing loads of drugs, not like, if anyone should be happy. You know, it should, should be, yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm sure he is at times, but you go like, oh, even the winners lose. So for Jean-Paul Sartre, 
he's like, how do we enjoy not fitting in? This is why psychoanalysis is very different from most therapies, because most therapies are designed to optimize you, to get you to fit in, to make you a better worker. You listen to depth, like, you listen to clinical psychologists, you listen to you, they try to make you fit in, whereas it's, a, it's about how do you productively enjoy not fitting in. But I mean, that's almost like <clears> if you look at punk rock, how punk rock started was like, this is how we, we, come, to, we come together as a community of not fitting in. Mm. Now over 30 years now, it's a group that, you know, people fit in and who's in and who's out. And, you know, people yeah. are like Judge Johnny Rotten, like, is he punk or not because of his political beliefs? Like, is he in or is he out? Yeah. You know, when it originally started about like, we're all outcasts and yeah. we all come together. And yeah. so I think that's the lesson is like, we can start those communities, but how do we keep those communities true yeah. to that? Yes. You know yes. what I mean? Yes. So like, when all of a sudden like, oh, well, all really John... Biden or Johnny Rotten is doing is just continuing to be the outcast amongst the outcasts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. how do we stay that community that allows that to be there? That's it. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that for me is the difference between like community and communion. Or I like to use the word a communion in just for the religious sense. But for me, a communion is a group gathered around a loss and gathered around all being the outcasts, yeah. feeling that. And it's not about going like, oh, I'm an outcast. Like it's like in Alcoholics Anonymous, you'll get someone who's, who's very rich, someone who's very poor, yeah. someone who's that all walks of life. All walks of life, all political yeah. differences too. Exactly. Yeah. And, but there's a shared loss. Now in Alcoholics Anonymous, it's a loss connected to obviously alcoholism, a universal loss, which is the loss connected to the incest taboo or castration. So a, a communion gathered around the universal loss of what's called the death of God in theology, unified around the death of God, is a communion that attempts to keep alive the experience of being outcast. And what political use is that? I would, I would argue that you have those communities, they will uh, open us up to more sensitivity to the other. We will feel less privatized. We will be more concerned about the other, which means that we will be less to begin with, less comfortable with wealth disparities and alienation, underemployment, unemployment, and uh, we'll begin to live into alternative ways of living. You know, that's a, it's, it is a radical political position. Yeah, and it's tough. And I think that's the whole dying to yourself, or taking up your cross, or taking the narrow road, or doing those things. Yeah. Because it feels like you almost have to fight against your instincts a little bit. Yeah. You know, and like you said, you have to like you can't get in touch with your own unconscious on your own yeah. or the group unconscious on their own you almost need the other to create us to allow us to see that yes so. and, and yeah so if someone doesn't believe in the unconscious this won't make sense because you go like well no my, a community doesn't have an unconscious so they don't have a symptom they don't have a coagulation of contradiction and and, and therefore my community is self-transparent to itself so you'll meet people he says like there's people who think they're transparent to themselves. They go like, I don't know what you think, but I know what I think, <laughs> yeah. I'm with myself all right, the time, right? Right, right? So the idea is like, whenever I ask you, what do you believe? That presupposes that you know what you believe. Now in psychoanalysis, it's different. You go like, you don't know what you believe. You might not believe in ghosts, but when it's late at night and you hear a creak, you suddenly get frightened <laughs> that there's something haunting, or you don't believe a duvet cover will protect you from a knife attack, but you'll put it over your head and you hear something. Yeah. We don't know what we believe. We're not transparent to ourselves. It's not that you're not transparent to me. You're not transparent to yourself. In the same way, communities, it's not that communities are transparent to themselves. Very common belief in, in kind of a, a non-psychoanalytic modern society is that your community is transparent to itself. But if you go with the idea that your community is not transparent to itself, that it actually has a pile of defense mechanisms precisely designed to protect it from seeing itself, then you go, God, I have to listen well because 
because it's only through the eyes of the other that I will be able to see myself. Wow. Wow. I think we're going to leave it there because I think that that's kind of the call for this next, I mean, this next year, we're in the middle of this year, but still just this next step of, of, of what we're doing with the revolution community and gathering is now we're doing, we move from arguing well to listening well to maybe realizing what are our defense mechanisms, what is our group uh, unconscious, you know, and how do we better become members of community? And if we are going to be outsiders of outsiders that we really have to work constantly to allow there to be no outsiders, interestingly enough. But thank you, Pete Rollins. All right, that was lovely. Thank you folks thank you. for coming in early and to all of our 11 o'clock members, we're on an airplane right now, but we'll talk to you soon. Um, love you guys. If you like the work that you're seeing and what we're doing, you can go to revolutionchurch.com to support this community and help us out. And um, thanks. Thank you, Kyle. Is that Kyle? I think it, Chris. Well, we're old, yes. Yeah, Chris, it's Chris. I'm like, wow, what an exciting thing to have Pete here, you know, who, who's such an influence to my work. I mean, we're best buddies, so often I forget that kind of stuff. <laughs> you see, that's his unconscious, yeah. evil. He doesn't know a duvet cover does protect from nice attacks. <laughs> see? That means he loves me. Yeah. But no, so we, we've, got, we've got this. We've got... You know, so it's neat to see those influences and it's also neat to have me so I can simplify it so you guys can all understand what this weirdo is. Yeah. thinks he's really smart and sane. <laughs> um, actually, I just say what I want to say. But we love you guys. Take care. See you next week. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Share this. you enjoyed this podcast to make your 100 tax deductible donation today please visit revolutionchurch.com donate you can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website